Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. We've reached it. We've made it to season eight. Can't believe it. Um, I'm in Adelaide in South Australia. My co-host Nikki Moffat is no longer in Hamburg in Germany. She's now in Copenhagen in Denmark. How are you, Nikki Moffat? I'm fine, thank you, Kirsty. Living in my new country and my new world. <laughs> and I wish everyone could see you in your new world <laughs> with your... Um, Packing boxes behind you and your. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm in the room which is dubbed study slash everything else because we had three rooms. We downsized a little bit more than we realized, even though we saw it and everything. So we've gone packing three rooms into one here and it's nearly, it's not working yet. We're, we're, we're working on a workaround, but we'll see how it goes. But mm. yes, that's where we're at. Apartment life. So we're also looking for an apartment in Daiha, right? We've been living in a four-bedroom, you know, home, proper home with a backyard and and a lounge and a dining and a kitchen and then lots of bedrooms and a landing and all those <laughs> sorts of things. And now, of course, it's just my husband in Daiha all on his own and it's time to find that you know elusive apartment that you dreamed that you would once be in when you were surrounded by little people Um, but yes Nikki I understand going from the three rooms into one room because I've just had a conversation with G about with him standing in um, an apartment in Doha and us going but where would you put the broom where would you put the (laughs) Where would you where would you even put the vacuum cleaner? Oh, uh, look, I can tell you, you have to separate the vacuum cleaner. I've got half my vacuum cleaner in a cupboard and the other half in my slash laundry, which is basically uh, also another cupboard with a washer and a dryer that you open the door on. I tell you, it's it's possible because it just it just takes imagination. Oh, the compromise of house hunting. And then also when you because for us we've lived in this location for so long, we know too much. Do you know? So if we were moving fresh off the boat, we would go, Oh well, you can live in apartment block one to forty, it doesn't matter. But because we've lived there, we know that one to twenty is doable, twenty to forty is surrounded by construction. Do you know all these all these things that come to you or that that location used to be great because it had a beach, but then they shut it down and they built a big, you know, construction site next to that. There's a lot of construction in Doha. Everything revolves around construction, but I'm sure anyone in the Middle East would be well aware. Nikki. Um, season eight, as I said, and 200 episodes. Yes, we're going to reach 200 episodes this season, Kirsty. We're going to have the countdown. Oh. And it's coming. So how many are we up to now? <laughs> we're in the 170s. So we'll, we should, by the end of the season, we should be celebrating the end of the season with our 200th episode. Oh, I like your optimism. When we talk about our Two Fat Expats podcast you cannot mention the podcast without thinking about the Two Fat Expats group, which now has over 30,000 members. Um, I thought it might be interesting to add, Nikki, that the average age in our um, podcast group is 35 to 42. Yeah, we're hanging with the younger crowd because we're <laughs> running with the cool kids. And our biggest cities and supporters are Singapore and Dubai. Hong Kong, and I think Qatar gets in there as well, and Hamburg for obvious reasons. Nikki, tell us what's in store for this year. 
Well, I think that, you know, now now I'm back in a new country. I'm now looking at everything again through the wide-eyed newbies. My, my social media posts are like, look at this amazing thing I've just found that in six months I will just walk past every day and think is totally normal. Yes. So we'll be back to talking about being new in a country again and all the things that go with that, dating new people. Ugh got to go back to that this week uh there's still a global pandemic kirsty not sure if you're aware seen any news on that uh, and then of course we will answer all the unanswered questions you have about expat life and we might revisit and just rejig some of the ones we've done earlier because as we know as information changes and as we grow and, and learn new information we're open to updating that kind of stuff um this season we're also going to mix it up a bit and have some more interviews with people that are inside and outside our community who can help us and the last thing back to the COVID is that we will be thinking about having separate families this Christmas so Mm. that's something that that a lot of expats uh will be facing yeah having a look at and on that, Nikki, because I am one of those people that is facing um, a split Christmas, we're hoping, as we always do, that G will get on a flight in December and get home to us. But we can't be guaranteed. We know that uh, flight caps are halved and flights just get cancelled on a whim at any time. And it really depends how many people are in quarantine in Australia and how it works. Delta's just a little bit out of control in Sydney at the moment. Um, but it so far is okay here in in my part of the world, in South Australia, but we all know that that will not last, that the virus doesn't tend to do that, um, just leave certain states alone. So, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to look. And so I thought it might be interesting this week to have a chat to my friend Sarah who I met in Qatar in Doha many, many years ago when Sarah had small children and uh, approached me about if I had an Australia, a T-shirt with an Australian flag on it that she could use for International Day. Can you get any more expat than that? <laughs> anyway, Sarah and I became friends and she moved on and uh, they ended up in New Zealand for a while and Sarah got involved in immigration she started working for a person who had a migration business and really found her passion and it's great expat story and I will get Sarah back to talk about that one day because I think hers is a great example of someone who someone who switched career and created something from nothing and now runs her own business um, which she did as an expat and now is doing back in Australia. So she's taken that business and moved it with her. Obviously, though, Sarah's business changed dramatically when COVID came, and I wanted to talk to her about what her business looks like now because I know now she deals with a lot of people who are inside Australia who are trying to stay inside Australia, but she also talks to Australian expats and people who still want to get back in. And I asked her sort of how hard it is to get into Australia now and sort of what the numbers are of people that are trying to get in. We've gone from having 1.8 million arrivals in Australia per month to 12,000 a month. Um, And that's based on on the government estimates on hotel quarantine spots and so forth. So when you've got that few flights coming in, and there's the 38,000 people registered with DFAT 
that want to come home, plus then just the standard travel of people who are coming to see their family, Australian citizens who are coming in to see Australia, see family and um, and so forth, that just becomes a massive glut. And um, so you've got people being bumped from their flights, of course, and the, so the safest way to come into Australia is the DFAT um, flights. Last, in August, there was 18 flights scheduled um, and they come from, obviously, the places of most most demand. So you had UK, India, Germany, South Africa, Indonesia and Japan this through August um, and they all land in Howard Springs. So if you can get onto one of those, that's your absolutely best option. Um, from a visa perspective though because you have to have a visa to be able to get onto any flight unless you're unless you're Australian of course unless you're Australian of course Um, but even say an Australian family member Australian citizens family member needs to have that visa and exemption Mm -hmm. which they're not really hard to get um, if you meet those criteria so Sarah if I'm Australian what's the difference between me getting on a DFAT flight or booking my own flight? Like, what do you think the motivation is there? So the motivation to me is that there's there's a massive process to actually register with Smart Traveller and get onto the list um, because they invite people on a priority basis. But once you actually get onto the list and you get that inv- invitation, um you then need to get on and book quickly because it just goes out to sort of they'll say, okay, we'll invite this bunch of people who seem to meet criteria and and then those people have to actually get in and book. So you can yeah. still miss out, but once you're booked on that flight, there's no change. You will get on that flight. You won't be bumped. And then you get to fly, um, say if it's from the UK, you fly direct from Heathrow to Howard Springs mm-hmm. um, or to, to Darwin and then to Howard Springs. So once you get into Howard Springs, there's um, there's 2,000 people uh, limit there, which sounds like a lot, but it's, it's fantastic facilities. You're in cabins rather than in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So it's just that much safer. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... It really just has has that extra level of knowing that you are going to get in. You're not going to get bumped because somebody else decided to get a business class flight or or whatever, and 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 you and your kids in economy get bumped because of it. Um, so, and or or it not, it's not going to be cancelled because suddenly something else has happened with the caps and the the government sprung a change. Right. It's yeah. Just more secure. So Sarah, if do you know how do DFAT decide? How do they decide who does get on those flights? Like so say I'm in Sweden or Denmark or you know Germany or wherever and I and I want to just go home for Christmas or I want to go home for you know three or four weeks to to you know see my family. Am I less likely to get in than someone who's going home to see a dying relative um, or go to their brother's wedding? Like how, how do 
how does a government make decisions like that? Yeah, so it is based on what they call vulnerability of your situation. So they would be looking at all of those reasons and they do ask a huge number of questions. It's about uh, your financial resources um, and and what you're coming home to. So if you're coming here because um, your partner's here and you've been planning this, and so you've resigned from your position and it's then you're now financially vulnerable. Um, whereas opposed to if you're just on leave because it's um, a holiday. But if there's a compassionate reason in there, then they're more likely to bump that up the list. So so it isn't it isn't a definite and, and there is still going to be um, a judgment call based on the case officer that picks it up on that particular day who's going to assign a ranking to you. Um, So it is really still in your best interest to to load the information with as much compassion as reasons and so forth as you can. So this is a dumb question, maybe. (laughs) So those (laughs) flights coming in, there's no guaranteed return flight then. It's just one flight in. And then if you were leaving again, you've got to then book your flight out of Australia. I'll be honest, I haven't heard of anyone having trouble getting a flight out of Australia. Yes. It seems to me that um, because the flights are coming in um, for other reasons, not necessarily just passengers, there's always a flight going out again. Yes. Um, you've got, you've got uh, cargo uh, flights, so flights that are coming in just because they, they may not have enough passengers on because of f- passenger caps, but they don't have to have the same sort of caps going out of Australia. So there's there's heaps of flights going out. Yeah. And there, there was, you know, a, a lot of chatter recently in sort of uh, Australian quarantine sort of Facebook groups and, you know, Aussies getting home and, and whatever, and people talked about, um, needing a special exemption form to get out, which really confused me because obviously I have a husband that's been in and out. And the first time he flew out, he needed one of these exemption forms. And we had our, you know, we've got a lawyer who lives down the road who's a JP, so he signed it. And then then this new thing came out and we thought, oh, my gosh, imagine if he can't get out and get back to work, we're going to have a problem. Anyway, it was approved within hours of him lodging it, which seems to be the case. Um, have, do you know why there was suddenly a change of you You had to lodge these exemption forms before you got to the airport? Sure. So uh, my um, from my sources, we're looking at the reasoning being that people were getting to the airport and having to go through this exemption process while they're at the gate or they're at processing um, border control where they're saying, but I'm usually resident elsewhere and border control is having to say, yeah, great, but we now have to check that. So they're doing all of these checks on um, passenger records and flight records in and out of Australia plus checking your documentation and it's it's stressful causes massive delays and you can still get turned away you might think you've got enough evidence mm-hmm. but 
you can still get turned away at the gate and uh, it has happened that, that that people have been sent away so rather than having that stressful process in the airport where you mm-hmm. might not have everything that you need by by removing the automatic exemption and saying you now need to apply it means that you can do it in advance and you've got the security of knowing that you're going to turn up at the airport and just get a rubber stamp and you're you're off you're gone Yes. You don't need to queue up for hours or sit in a waiting room with crying children thinking, oh, my God, I'm never going to get back. Yeah. So it it <laughs> seemed like a really unfair change when when it was announced. But logistically, it's it's actually made the process a lot easier and less stressful for everyone. Yes. So if you were someone like Nikki Moffat who said, I'm too scared to go back to Australia unless in case they don't let me out again, you could reassure Mm. her by saying, well, you would know that information before you even got on the plane to come into Australia. Absolutely. You you can get it. You can get it done months in advance, can't you? um, That's right. Yeah. There is normally on on all border exemptions, there's a three-month limit on those exemptions. Mm -hmm. Um, But for Australian citizens, there's no limit. So she, anyone could book um, their tickets and then do their exemption request or the other way around um, and have that in hand and know that no matter when they can actually get on a flight, they will be able to also then get out of Australia again, back to their normal life. Yes. So Sarah, just finally, do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Um, I do. I know that it all seems completely unfair at the moment um but i think that as we get vaccination rates up um and and start seeing life normalize then we'll be able the borders will open the reality is that the government needs migrants coming in they bring a massive um massive income for us and and when it comes down to it it comes down to dollars and cents for the government they they aren't really big on the compassionate reasons they're really hard on that but yeah so for dollars and cents migration is a massive industry and our borders are going to have to open sooner or later so just we just have to get the vaccine rates up and and watch as as life slowly returns to normal in our cities and then the borders can open up Well, Kirsty, thank you very much for asking a special question about me, about being worried about if I got in, about not being able to get back out. Really do appreciate that. Well, you said that the other day. I said to you, would you actually try and get back in? And you said, no, because I don't trust the government that they'd let me out again. And it's true. Being on this side, I feel very nervous about it. And I I hear Sarah and and I read the regulations and I read in the groups and I totally understand that In theory, that's all possible. But because the rules are changing all the time and every time the government has a plan, they announce it and it's fated and then (laughs) seven days later there's a new plan. (laughs) I just just have that feeling that, and and I I know that you probably have it too, Kirsty, Mm. because your family is split and mine is not. But Mm -hmm. if one of us or two of us went into Australia and then we couldn't get back or reunite with our core little family I would be really really gutted so I Mm. I I I understand and I I my head knows what the details are my heart says different things to me but apart from that I think that what Sarah had to say is really interesting and perhaps for some of the non-Australians listening 
a lot of people I talk to here have no idea about how difficult it mm. is to get in, into Australia at the moment. And yes. then once you're in, to maybe get back out. So I spend a lot of time explaining to people, Australia, yes, no, this is how it's looking. Mm. <laughs> this is why, why we're not, you know, we, why we're not there, why we can't get back in necessarily to get back out. And I have said before, and I've said it to my husband and to you and to the podcast that, you know, I wouldn't look to get back in except all, all of us as a family and only in a situation where there was a real need because I still feel that there are people trying to get in who've lost their jobs, who need to reunite with family members, etc. And I would feel guilty taking a seat on a plane away from them. Yeah. There may be a time in my future where that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I really acknowledge that. But right now I still, I still see so many stories of absolute heartbreak online that I just, I, I couldn't yeah. get on a plane. And I also see the DFAT flights this week. There was a DFAT flight um, from Frankfurt, there are two flights listed for September and they were sold out in 15 minutes. And yeah. there are just a lot of stories of people who got the email here, get on the flight, and then, and as Sarah said, you know, um, the government needs to be open for the economy and they're not big on necessarily on the compassion side, which I understand, And but they do take that into consideration. But there seems to be a lot of people on the email list that are getting information about the DFAT, DFAT flight. Yeah. So... I'm just not sure how that's sitting. I wonder, I mean, Mickey, do you think if, because I, I'm, I'm still a little bit confused about who's on the DFAT flight. Like are you are you completely desperate and you need to get back and you're going back, you know, for good because you're homeless or not? And And no one can kind of tell me. You know, I wonder with the DFAT whether it should be, you know, that that those those flights are reserved solely for compassionate reasons and that if if you are coming home because you just want to come home and you want to spend some time at home because you know Nikki you and I both look in those um expat groups and we see that there are people who've been home three and four times to Australia and you and I have both asked each other the question you know like God, those people have been in quarantine again. Like, how have they done that with their children? Like, how do you do quarantine three times? You know, so I, I think, I don't know, like, how how it works that some of us get in and out. It it appears with ease, and others are really struggling. And I think that's the thing. It's just the wheel of fortune. And, and for some people, it depends on, you know, who's paying and, you know, because it's not cheap either. You know, no. you pay the airfare, plus you pay the quarantine, yeah. plus you have to take two weeks of your life to be in quarantine. Now, I don't disagree with quarantine. I never have. And I've always said that. But yeah. it's still costly and time consuming. Oh, yeah. And if, so, people, are, if people are wondering, it, it is for us, Greg spent two weeks in a very small box that didn't, you know, have a, have a balcony or opening windows that looked onto the Hungry Jack's car park. And um, he... Where well, you went to wave to him several times. Yes. And he wasn't a great lover of the food because, you know, every he didn't have a microwave. A lot of people do, but everything came and it was sort of cold because it's got to sit out in the hallway and wait for everybody's food to be delivered and then one side's allowed to open their door and then the other side's allowed to open their door um and he he you know he he got through it because he worked and he was just happy to be back and whatever but I mean that was a four thousand dollar exercise where I still came in and delivered fresh fruit and 
you know, all, uh, his bike and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's not a... And I can tell you that bill came within a week of him being home. It landed in the letterbox. So... Um, <laughs> I, oh, honey, you're home. Yeah. Maybe they send it when you've got the happy glow of just being reunited <laughs> with your family. Maybe if they wait a bit longer, they think, why did I ever come? Why am I here? I'm not paying this. And, of course, if he gets home in December, maybe we do it all again. There is talk of home quarantine. And only yesterday I heard on the radio our state premier talked about that there are three people in home quarantine in South Australia at the moment. They have started the test. So I'm kind of, I'm very hopeful that if they've started the test now in August, that maybe by December they will have, you know, found their comfort zone with how it works and sort of ironed out the crinkles. I don't know. Well, interesting times ahead. But thanks. That's great to have because there's been a lot of drama and a lot of written and a lot of hand-wringing, some of it by me, about the new regulations. So it was interesting to hear Sarah's comments Mm. on them and from from a practical and calm and professional viewpoint. Yes. Um, She She was very calming, wasn't she? And I think, Nikki, on that point, you've just raised an excellent point. One of the reasons I really wanted to talk to Sarah was it was this whole exemption form that had to be filled out. And I know when the government announced that this exemption form had to be filled out, I was really confused by it because I had seen G fill it out when he left the first time, you know, after he'd been here having chemo on radio. And so I I just couldn't get in my head what was different, like why it happened. So it was... It was good to hear that you could sit there in Denmark and fill out that form now as an Australian and get it approved so you know with that you can calmly enter the country knowing you can get out because that is a real expat problem. If you couldn't get back to work or back to your other life, that is an issue. So the fact that you can get it filled out and know that you can get out it also makes me realize that if they're willing to let you sign that three months in advance um that it's not you that it's aimed at yeah well fingers crossed i've Mm. still got my doubts but yes (laughs) i i do think there are people that have gone in and out and in and out and um that that that's what they're trying to stop is is it's not it's not Australians returning home yeah so yeah. if you look at the they they released numbers today or yesterday about the number of Australia number of people in and out of Australia in the last two months or whatever and that was eye-opening to me the statistics on there I was like okay yeah I can see why they needed to address it I can see oh, why it needed really? to be addressed yeah what sort of numbers we're we talking about Nikki um well, there was a lot of people leaving. And so I was thinking, well, if there's a lot of people leaving, there have to be a lot of people coming back in. So I, yeah. I, I don't have them right to hand, which is silly. Yeah. Uh, but but it just it just made me realize there was a, there was an increase in the people leaving Australia over April and May and June. And so I thought, well, if all those people are leaving, they have to be able to come back in. Yes. So there has to be some sort of control on the people that are leaving to make sure that they're leaving for the right reasons. Yeah, because then the person who has the dying father, not mum, sorry, back. they yeah. can't they can't get back in because someone else who's maybe gone in and out three or four times got it. I'm sure that this is very boring if you're not Australian, but I, I do I do think it's worth 
the discussion because this is so relevant to expats. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different challenges. I have a friend in, I was going to say here, but I'm not here, in Hamburg who is from the UK and it's it's, a, it's an hour and a half flight. It's so close. Yeah. But the the loops and the and the things that she has to go through, yeah. she, she has a father who, who is dying and she has to consider being able to get there and then get back and then what the requirements are in both countries. Yeah. And the UK also has some relatively serious requirements and until recently wasn't recognizing vaccines that were administered outside the UK. So there's mm. also that. I've got a friend who's recently repatriated to the US. She had one AstraZeneca in um, Germany before they changed the age under AstraZeneca. So then she had a Moderna. So she has a mixed shot. She's now in the US. Her child and her husband, um, her child is too young to be vaccinated. Her husband has been vaccinated, have come down with COVID. She has called the health, she's testing negative. She's called the health department. In where she lives, she can t- continue to go to work. The health department has just told her they don't recognize her mixed dose mm-hmm. as being fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yet she's the only person in the house that doesn't have COVID. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so they don't, they don't recognize any of the studies that the UK and Europe did on the mixed doses because they changed the ages. Mm. And so she's now in a position where for her to return to work and for her to be considered fully vaccinated in the US, she has to have another dose of, of Moderna. So there's just mm. so many different things going on yep. in different ways. So it, every country has its own challenges and its own very difficult situations. So yeah. I think it's always interesting, as I said earlier, to have a bit of an insight into Uh, country-specific situations. And, you know, we're interested if your country has something that we haven't heard about. Yeah, yeah, I would love, I'd love. Look, Nikki, I think that was one of the best posts was when our friend Kelly gave us an update of what life was like in Singapore at the moment. And she showed a picture of the app that she uses and she gave us the vaccination rates and then she told us what daily life looks like, etc. And then everybody gave the same information and I've had so many people say to me that post was absolutely fascinating to see I know yeah and and really put you back in your place for when you looked particularly I found it in Southeast Asia and Africa where you know they were saying we have one percent of the population vaccinated um yeah yeah Well, it's interesting. I'll be interested to see because Denmark is a very sort of egalitarian country and the World Health Organization have come out and asked developed countries not to do a third shot until the the parts of the rest of the world have a chance to be vaccinated. So I'll be interested to see where this goes media-wise in the next week or so so we can have an update next time we speak. Yeah. Nikki, just on Denmark because just in the last sort of 24 hours there's been a great sort of breaking, breaking news. news. <laughs> um, so what's the percentage of people that are vaccinated in Denmark? In the over 12s population. So Denmark measure their vaccination rates very cleverly. So everyone who's been offered a vaccine, which is everyone 12 right. and over, there's over 80% wow. now of those that are fully vaccinated. Yeah. And in the, in the high 80s of the, of the single vaccination so we're nearly at the 90% which is which is the aim so for good. the in that in that population yeah. group but overall of course there are a lot of people under 12 so it's it's in the low 70s for the total mm-hmm. population right and so i think that makes you about third from the article i read on the list i think malta's first 
Sorry, yeah. can't remember who's second. Yeah. But um, uh, so what is the breaking news of what's happening in Denmark? Oh, breaking news in the last moments is that Denmark have announced that they no longer view COVID as a critical threat to society, which means that the all the emergency measures put in place will be removed, which means that from the middle of September, there will be no more restrictions. There will be no more testing. There'll be no more need to show that you've been tested or no show your Corona pass within Denmark. That is it. Corona, I've been joking about being a post-COVID world, but it absolutely come mid-September will be a post-COVID world. And I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Oh, I can't wait. And I can't wait to get the updates of how this looks because I, I I dream of these days of, you know, even 80% vaccination where we're scheduled for end of November to be 80% vaccinated. So we'll wait and we'll see. Nikki, um, have you made any bold statements lately? Well, you know, I'm making a bold statement today, Kirsty. My house is at that very last stage of the really messy point before it can really be you know considered livable (laughs) (laughs) and we had our wardrobes built yesterday so the ikea men came to save our marriage and put together our wardrobes for our bedroom so they will be the last boxes that we will unpack and my bold statement this weekend is to sort this stuff out because I want to wake up on Monday and, you know, not look around and, you know, when everything's not in the right place. And, and I'm not talking about messy. I'm just talking about not in the right yeah. place. So there are things in the wrong rooms, in the wrong locations, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Get, that's my bold statement for this week. I'm on it. That's where I'm at. What about you, I'm going to do something called the Responsible Adult Course. <laughs> And what that means is you can serve alcohol um, because eventually I would like to do some work in a cellar door and learn about, you know, being a cellar door person, doing some wine. And to do that, to do and my kids have all done it. I mean, this is sad, isn't it? This is something my children have done and I haven't um, because they've worked in catering places and wineries and um you know, kiosks where there's wine or beer or whatever. So uh, I'm going to do that. So I will come back and report to you whether I've become a responsible adult being able to serve alcohol. Uh, right. Do you, your kids help you study for that? Is there sort of a group no, study session? No, is no or, I, is I, it? I would say it would all be just way <laughs> too embarrassing to um, commit to doing study with mum. Nikki, what about your three favourite things? What have you watched? What have you listened to? What have you read? What's going on in your your world? Okay, so we've we've had this recording a couple of times and it's been aborted, but I just want to say that I was one of the first people on the White right. Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> After one episode, it was on my three favourite things. Uh, of course, now the series have finished and if you haven't heard of The White Lotus, it's a series on HBO. Um, it's got an amazing, amazing cast. Um, it sort of had a fantasy island-esque feeling for those very old people in the very beginning, but then it just went in a totally different direction. It's set, It's a TV show set on a tropical island paradise and it follows the guests and staff over the course of a week. Uh, it's a comedy satire and it's a lot of social commentary in it. It was recorded during COVID, so it was recorded sort of in a little bubble. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but what, what I would say is when you've watched it all, there is an NPR review of the finale and it's a great breakdown of all the things that you oh. might have thought or didn't think or missed or didn't miss. So I always like to, when TV shows are raved and raved about and I think, oh, I liked it, but did I really understand it all? Yeah. <laughs> Go and look for yeah. those sorts of articles and um, things. Now, but the cast is just amazing and, you know, it's got, you know, Jennifer Coolidge and uh, Connie Britton. I mean, come on, it's it's amazing. Cast. Now I haven't seen it, but I did read in one of those you know group chats. It might have even been in our group chat. Someone said they felt a little bit depresso at the end of it. Is is it like that? Oh, it's a hundred percent like that because it's it's about <laughs> so it yeah. kind of no. came with a COVID <laughs> warning. Like you know, if you're feeling a bit glum, maybe don't head in this direction just yet. Yeah, so one thing is it's people on holidays. And if you're in winter, in uh, lockdown, watching people on holidays in summer, right. not great. <laughs> I wouldn't think that that's, that's a good idea. Uh, the other thing is it's about how when you go on holidays, you're basically the most privileged person in the room. And, you know, how you interact with everybody else is based on that level yeah. of, you know, it's not saying don't go on holidays. It's not saying any of those things. It's just presenting these very uber wealthy people and their interactions with each other and the staff at this resort over the course of a week. Uh, it, it, yeah. So yes, I I hear someone. So I'm sitting in the northern hemisphere summer, coming out of well, out of COVID. It's in my rearview mirror now. Apparently, says Denmark. Uh, so I'm looking at it from a totally different viewpoint than perhaps someone sitting in Australia in the middle of winter, perhaps in an eight week lockdown, if they're in Sydney, yeah. is looking yeah. at it. Yeah. What else? Um, okay. Next, I've got Never Have I Ever. Now, it's season two on Netflix. Now, I talked about I talked about this during season one and I was just scrolling through Netflix and it popped up and says, you might want to watch this. And so I thought, yes, I do. Uh, Davey returns with, it's the one with the John McEnroe as the narrator. Oh, yeah. It's the twin one. Perhaps, perhaps your youngest is, is caught up on it. He and I might be able to discuss it. We could start a watch club. <laughs> Uh, but so John McEnroe is the narrator and he sort of narrates the episodes being in her mind. But this season they've done a couple of different ones. So one, in one episode, Gigi Hadid is the narrator. So and it's taking, you know, it's making fun of that whole situation. So it's just it's a really lovely, easy to watch, you know, teeny, angsty, light, light thing. Uh, and my third thing that I will add in here is the Pieces of Britney podcast by Pandora Sykes of the much loved and much missed Hilo. Oh, yes. So whenever you can hear Pandora Sykes, voice, it's very nice to hear oh, that. So she's done, she's done um, one on Britney as well. She did one on Britney, ah. yeah. So Britney Spears, pop icon. I think everyone who's been following the news is, you know, we, we're having a reimagining of our relationship with Britney through the yeah. media and through ourselves and so pandora uh, sykes the blurb says it pieces together what we know about her story what it tells us about sex entertainment and how we treat women in the public eye so you know it's a retrospective we look at it in today's terms and it just gets you to think about how you looked at it at the time and if you are like me you know my age and we're a little bit older than britney but not that much older you know it gets you a little bit uncomfortable in your head yeah. <laughs> because you think about how you looked at yeah. it and from that point of view but uh yeah if you're looking for a podcast then it's something that i would recommend oh i'd love to listen to that 
that's my three, Kirsty. What about you? So I'm the same as you. You know, when we originally started talking, we made a few notes of what we watched. That feels like so long ago and everybody else has been there, done <laughs> that. So I jumped on the misrepresented train as well. It was absolutely brilliant, but I, I feel that everybody's heard all about misrepresented. I also loved Hacks, which was the two comedians that sort of yes. spread across two generations. I thought Hacks was brilliantly done I really really loved it I also loved The Pursuit of Love which is a novel by Nancy Mitford and it's been um, turned into a television series it's three part and I would tell people to persevere with the first one um, because you kind of need the first one to establish the relationship Um, and if you haven't read The Pursuit of Love um, you know you, you kind of need it for that. And uh, I read something that was brilliant. David Sedaris in The New Yorker. I'll put the link into our show notes so you can find it. Um, I love David Sedaris, but he wrote about going to the nursing home to visit his father. Uh, spoiler alert or not. No, I won't mention how it pans out, but it's just brilliant. It's Sedaris at his finest. Yeah, David Sedaris is a brilliant Yeah. Yeah. I also got a little bit excited, Nikki, because I did see that there was a season five preview of The Crown, which got me very excited. Um, So I went in. A preview clip? No, just a preview of what the next um, Elizabeth is going to sort of look like. And I have got into an Instagram page called Your Diagnonsense. And I, I just like it just sort of pops up every day with a little bit of advice. Um, sometimes those advice, that advice can really sort of, um, what would you say? Uh, one day it's telling you something and the next day it's telling you completely the opposite and it might just fit with what you need on the day. So, but the <laughs> one day that it really resonated with me was the disengage and he wrote about why you kind of need to just scroll on by and not be outraged by everything and how to disengage because I I feel that that is perhaps my downfall um, and I have been making note of it when I've been in sort of different forums of things of, oh, well, don't, don't, just go scroll on. Anyway, I, I really like, I really do like it as an Instagram page for a little bit of, you know, quick, quick wisdom. So yeah, they're my few things. That sounds great. Now, can I just go back? So you talked about misrepresented and probably everyone's been on that. Yes. But for the non-Australian viewers mm. among us, which there are, we do have some, we are listened to in 162 countries, <laughs> um, so can you maybe give us just a brief overview of what misrepresentation was? Yeah. And look, I think it's, I think you would enjoy it if you weren't Australian. Nikki, what, what, what do you think? I mean, I do too, yeah. but I'm Australian, so yeah. I can't So <laughs> Annabelle Crabb, um, who we know uh, as a political journalist and she's also um, been on the telly before, both in political and non-political roles, um, and she wrote a book called The Wife Drought, has done a television series called Misrepresented, and it really takes you through time of women in politics in Australia. If you had to pull out a couple of things, I think it shows that whatever side of politics you're on, because we had women from the Greens, we had women from the Liberal Party, we had women from the Labor Party and the Democrats, who one of my children said, what are the Democrats? 
Oh, no. Well, oh, you no. think about it, Nikki. That's something from yeah. our generation. It's not our yeah. kids now. Um, and uh, anyway, but it shows how all of these women, whatever side of politics they were in, they had all had the same sort of observations and the same experiences. Uh, I think when they talked about gender deafness um, and they all explained exactly the same thing of being in a meeting where they say an idea and that idea kind of gets ignored and then oh, they start to, yeah. yeah they start to doubt themselves thinking oh god that was that was a shocking idea like no one no one really seemed to like that one at all and then hearing that exact same idea sort of churned out three people down the conversation um and 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 how to and sort of saying how they deal with it and what they do to deal with it which i thought was really good that they talked about that um it was just brilliant because it was very well produced. It switched from person to person to person. It was funny as well as being poignant. There were some bits that were outrageous and uh, particularly the piece with Corey Bernardi who's um, a male uh, Liberal Party senator here in South Australia of basically his harassment of one of um, the women it was just horrendous and a big one on alcohol culture in parliament yeah. you know it's it's one of those things you know Nikki you and I are of the same vintage where we remember working in Australia and you had Friday afternoon drinks and people did disappear on Friday and they didn't come back and people got completely sloshed at work uh, particularly if you worked in a sales role there was always booze and I can remember I you know, left Australia and then worked in North America and worked in other, where, where it was like... Oh, no, Not a the, drinking culture. Yeah, totally different culture. And people talked about occupational health and safety. And uh, I think it, they obviously had been there and done that. We've all watched Mad Men. We know that there used to be booze in American offices. They, they phased it out too. We just took a little bit longer. Um, so it's interesting that politics seems so far set back in time that they haven't progressed you know the comment was made that there was a while there wasn't childcare, like they built a brand new parliament house and they built a bar but they didn't build a child care center um yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's really well done did you get a chance to see it nikki i haven't seen it all i've seen a little bit of it of some of the episodes and i've seen lots of the clips mm -hmm. but i i do need to go back and watch it it's on my yeah on my list yeah okay so is that us done we're back we've started season eight and now we're committed we're committed we're in we'll see 200 episodes by the end of this season kirsty right well, my name isn't <laughs> nikki moffat <laughs> might have to change my name okay all right <laughs> speak to you next week okay see you later bye